Welcome to the Golf Bubble with your host, Ben Harvey. I'm a golf professional with a goal to bring you the best in online golf content. I get up close and personal with tour professionals, golf coaches, and the most interesting people that I can find that work in the golf industry. Follow me online at Ben Harvey Golf Performance, or you can even join us on our public Golf Bubble Facebook group. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is a customer service announcement. Can Ben Harvey please board flight 2022 to the Golf Bubble? Hey everybody, it's Ben here at the Golf Bubble. All jokes aside, I'm so excited to bring you guys into 2022 with a brand new episode of the Golf Bubble. You guys have been so amazing with your time over the last 12 months and we've had some amazing guests really that have brought some really funny stories uh, some very deep stories and also, you know, things from behind the scenes, stuff that you wouldn't normally hear about the golf industry, about people, about certain things that have happened and events. And it's just been such a great time recording and making some new friends as well. So before I introduce you to my latest guest, who has got over 24 and a half million views on his YouTube channel, he's an incredibly popular guy within the golf industry and and so many people love and, and know him as to be very humble, very relaxed and incredibly knowledgeable. But before we get started, I just want to let you know a little bit more about BenHarveyGolfPerformance.com and I have a brand new pricing structure for this year and it's only £30 per month for unlimited online support. That's right, £30 a month. You can join me on Golf Coach app on the App Store and use the coach code Bubble Golf Coaching to connect with me. That's my old brand name. It's all one word, and you should be able to connect with me through Golf Coach app. And you have a monthly direct debit subscription through Go Cardless. And once that's been put through, you guys have unlimited access to ask me as many questions as you like about your game. Send your golf swings to me, and I'll make sure that I send over personalized drills that are there to help you improve your game and it's kind of like having your own personal YouTube video. So before we crack on again guys just a little bit of housework to do here if you want to find me online again you can find me on Facebook you can find me on Instagram and also if you have anybody that you think would be a fantastic guest for the podcast and you want to put them forward please do send them a message with my link and my details. They can email me at benharveygolf at icloud.com. But here we go. Let's start 2022 with a fantastic guest. Put your seatbelts on or maybe pop the kettle on, grab yourself a cup of tea and some biscuits and listen in because this one is a cracker. I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to 2022 for the Golf Bubble. It's been quite a few months since we posted, and I am so excited to ramp up this year for 2022 and get a lot more amazing special guests on board. So this week, well, what can I say? I want to welcome a special guest to start 2022 with a bang. Today, uh, I've got with me an incredibly talented and, and humble human, um i'm gonna list this off uh i'll tell you what i'm gonna need to take a breath for this one because there isn't something this guy hasn't done i mean it's unbelievable the amount of skills he's got um he's an author executive producer and director he's authored the book the hogan code he's produced over a hundred 
TV series and films for major networks and, and also an Emmy winner for, for one of those as well. Um, I could go on for ages, but I, I'm just going to welcome him on board. And uh, the, the man from My Swing Evolution, this is uh, Christo Garcia. Christo, thanks so much for coming on board. How you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm so happy to be here and I'm honored that you reached out. It's always a pleasure to make new friends. Oh, 100 percent. You know, this business is uh, uh, it's it's huge, but it's also a very small place as well, which I'm probably sure you're aware of. Everybody seems to know everybody somehow. So I just got back from the PGA show in Orlando and mm -hmm. it's funny, it's my second trip there and it's so small. It's a pleasure to run into friends from around the country, around the world, and um, it gets smaller every day. Uh, yeah, it does get smaller every day, and we seem to know so many people. I've only ever been to the the show once, and it was literally just last minute. I remember going to the PGA show, and my mum and dad were on holiday out there, and we, we used to go to Florida and Orlando nearly every year. I've probably been there 18, 19 times, so I can kind of, you know, wow. I could probably drive around there without a sat-nav. I'm so familiar with the place. And, and I remember texting them going, oh, my God, it's the PGA show this week. Are you guys going to be able to make it there? And, um, well, they said, well, why don't you come and join us? And I was like, oh, my God, I think I had, like, three days just to pack a bag and get myself ready to go over there and I remember walking into the PGA show and um, oh my god it, it was you know when you think about the curvature of the earth and, and, and something's just so long and you're kind of like there's, there's going to be a curvature at some point and I remember kind of standing right in the middle walking in and you look left and you look right and you kind of go it's just never ending this thing is massive I mean you think this is a small industry sometimes, but when you go to that show, my God, you wouldn't be able to walk around it in a day. Not a hope. It's um, the first time I went, this was my second time. I couldn't comprehend. It, it seemed like in one direction, it seemed like it had to be a mile indoors. Right. Yeah. Like maybe it's a half a mile, whatever it is. It is, it is, it is long and it is several layers deep as well so each time i try and go up one island down the other up one dial and down the other and this last time that i just went it was six hours and i'd only gone about halfway and wow. and, and i was like there's just there's just so much there the golf industry is incredibly big mm -hmm. and i was shocked looking at the statistics is that i'm i work in film and television and i want to create a new golf channel i you know i have my youtube channel i have my membership site yeah. now i want to do the next thing and then have lots of stars and keep building it bigger and bigger and better shows um but golf is bigger than the movie industry wow okay I, you know, I, I, when you talk about what i mean by that is um you know golf is is close to a hundred billion dollar industry it's wow. bigger than any other pro sport that I can think of. I mean, at least in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's just incredible. And I think that there's great opportunities for, for media in golf uh, just because of that. Because when I, when I look at the, the floor of the PGA show, I think, you know, there's, how do these, these different businesses get their products seen in the marketplace, you know, and there's, um, of course, there's YouTube and then there's the Golf Channel for us over here in the United States. Yeah. And that's about it. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, if that's, that's fascinating. That's something I kind of want to touch on to uh, very shortly is, uh, you know, part of your, your career in, in, in TV and, and film. Um, I wanted to go right back to the start, really. So I've been trying to do as much research from yourself as I can. And um, you went to Lake Wales High School. So that's probably just <laughs> just east of Tampa, I'm thinking. Yeah. So if you went south of Orlando and east of Tampa, you would hit Lake Wales. It's just kind of right down in the middle, isn't it? When you look at the when you look at the boat. Yeah, so, so Highway 27 and I-4, which you're yeah. probably familiar with I-4 in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. If you turned left on the first major highway outside of town, uh, then it'll take you in about 45 minutes. You'll land in Lake Wales. Wow. So were you born in, in Florida? Were you born in that area or was that somewhere where you grew up, but you'd moved from somewhere else? Tell me a little bit more about that. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, when I was very young, maybe about a year and a half, uh, we moved to Wachula, Florida, which is about 40 minutes away from Lake Wales. Mm-hmm. My uh, freshman year of high school, we moved to Lake Wales and um, and that's that's where I where I played on the high school golf team. And, wow. Uh, yeah. That's, what was the, that's what was the handicap back in the day? What was the lowest handicap? Can you remember? Um, I didn't really carry a handicap. My my freshman year, I shot thirty five one under par, playing against the number one player in our district. Wow. Our our coach had me play the number one position, mm-hmm. um, and I got worse and worse every year. That year I averaged that my freshman year, I averaged 39 on the golf team. Okay. And, um, but I got worse and worse, like, you know, 41, 42 average 40, you know, and, um, I started getting stronger and bigger and trying to hit the ball further. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't really taking lessons. And I, I, I really became kind of a slasher kind of, guy but you know Mm -hmm. I I just you know just wanted to hit it as far as possible but my real sport in high school I was the the number one rated junior karate fighter or sport karate fighter in the United in in Florida at the time Mm -hmm. so so that was really my main focus but um but I still loved golf love always loved golf Mm -hmm. and and I I don't know I just uh I I started to play worse golf I I played some good golf in my late teens for a short period, but, but after that, the wheels really came off and, and didn't play much in college. And then after college, I played so poorly, I decided to give up the game for four years. I, I was so frustrated. I quit playing. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, I mean, for anybody, you know, listening, if you ever get yourself to a stage with golf where you just want to come home pick up the clubs, stick them in the cupboard and not look at them and let them gather dust for a long time. And you're in, you're in a seriously bad place, my friend, if, uh, if that happens. So, you know, that's, that's cause this is this game, like you say, that we all love and we all want to play it all the time. Once you get the bug, as we call it over here, you just don't want to put them down. And, um, you know, when, when you kind of went away from golf for a little while, then would that be kind of really where karate kind of then took a little bit more of a front step for you or what, what then happened after that? Well, my, my goal from when I was uh, a pretty young kid was I wanted to be the next Bruce Lee. Okay. And I, I say that with genuineness that I mm-hmm. felt that I actually had exactly what it takes to do yeah. that. Um, I had a high level performance skill as a competitor. 
um, I was trained in theater. Um, I just, I just had the whole package. I actually had a show developed where I was the lead for, for a major network here in Los Angeles when I first moved here about 20 years ago mm-hmm. and it, it didn't make it. And, and all my friends were like, Oh, it's, they know you, it's just going to be, you know, you'll, you'll get your next shot and the next shot never came. Mm-hmm. So that's why I began working behind the camera, directing and producing. I mean, looking at your, you know, your high level of karate, it's something that we've both got in a synergy. I actually just wanted to grab this thing off the wall here. So I am going to show you this. It's, it's been a long time since I've looked at this. This is my Southern Shotokan karate diploma. God, that was 2001, my friend, 2001, the grade of Shodan in Shotokan karate. So that um, is beautiful. Nice classic hard style karate traditional yeah There's a lot lot to learn from from shotokan that's that's so beautiful that you practice that gojiru was my my background and uh but that's that's incredible i i didn't realize that ben awesome it, it's just something that i found so hilarious that you put so many years of hard work into and you just get this piece of cardboard like a certificate and you just chuck it up on the wall and i'm thinking uh, and like I put all this work in and all I get is a piece of paper. I think it's literally paper that, 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 that they give you. Let's make it look fancy. Let's write gold writing on it to make it look fancy. And I just thought that, that's that's karate for you. You know, it's not all about the glitz and the glamour. It's all about the inside. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's all about what's inside. I, you know, my I remember having a conversation about um, medals that you receive for valor in uh, the armed forces. Mm-hmm. and you know what's in a medal you know it's it's that somebody recognized what yep. you did you know so you know I used to have enormous trophies I used to have a room full of trophies and and I tried to actually every time I moved I'd lug those darn things around and then there's a certain point when you know what I, I don't need the trophies I've got the experience you just don't need them if you look at someone like um oh man uh boxer and mike tyson and i and you and you watch a documentary of mike tyson and there's a guy just saying look, look at all this like amazement on this table look at all of this history and, and he just picks up the um you know picks up the trophy or, or picks up the belt and he's like oh it's just junk right it's it's like it's junk it, because everything is all about what's inside your head and and i was so fascinated by kind of your dance background in karate and and i really just wanted to kind of ask you how you feel that has shaped you potentially as a golf coach and and maybe what do you find is some of the key things that you maybe have learned from you know dance and the dynamics of movement within um you know karate and different martial arts and how do you link that potentially with your coaching well you know i was just doing it today with a a a student that um, a student who has a, a pretty decent golf swing has played for quite a number of years, picked up the game around the age of 12. And, um, you know, I'd never seen his swing before. And, and he had a tendency to hit the ball thin, hit the ball heavy, you know, not something that every golfer in the world knows what that is. But, but when I'm seeing misses on both sides of the ball, thin and heavy, then I know that there's not a consistent weight transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you saw his address, you'd say, wow, that's a darn fine address, ball yep. position, good. And I'm like, okay, so let's see what's happening, you know. And um, 
and he didn't sway too much. Like he has had several good lessons and you can see it in the body. Yeah. Um, but the weight transfer was terribly inconsistent and mm -hmm. he wasn't getting to his front foot um, as aggressively as I would have liked to have seen. So what I did um, now, this is to me, dance and martial arts is, is a great foundation for balance. And to me, the golf swing is all about balance. And, and this is from the Hogan study, um, mm -hmm. his student and his, uh, his person that worked with him, Jody Vasquez told me that Ben Hogan wanted to feel absolute balance at the top of the backswing, mm -hmm. absolute balance at the finish. And if you can hit those two positions consistently, then something, you know, consistent should happen in between those two points, at least okay. you're, you're on the way. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I worked very hard to try and move from, from those two positions in, in extreme balance. In fact, when somebody watches me practice, I may hit a perfectly fine shot, but if my, if my balance is slightly off, that's what irritates me, wow. you know? So, so I drew a line in the dirt. I said, imagine this is, this is the ball. And I want you to just show me how you can take a divot in front of this line. And, and he wasn't able to do that consistently. And so we started to move into the way the, the, move, the weight moves through the feet, through the heels, through the balls of the feet and that kind of figure eight motion. Yep. And, um, and then he started to find, you know, a consistent bottom of the swing arc. And that's, you know, again, it's like, there's so much to talk about with the golf swing. It, it seems it's deceptively simple, but it's, it's, it's like doing, 10 pirouettes it's like yeah. yep. like when you see it done well it's like seeing somebody an artist on that level I think we take for granted especially when you know we all do it you walk up and down the driving range you see certain people move and you see the way other people may not move in the way they're supposed to and I find it fascinating that when you look at the people that do it well you know ultimately it doesn't matter how fast or how slow they swing the club like you say, that they've got a very balanced finish, you know, a, a balanced backswing and a very balanced finish. And I, that is quite fascinating that you put that there. And I always found that whenever I was fighting my best within karate, I'd always found that I was always finishing every single move in balance. I was never off balance because then, you know, I was either too far forwards and then I couldn't get myself back away from the person. And then I was too far back. And, and it was quite interesting how you, you kind of put those comparisons in there. Definitely something I'm probably going to pinch from my own coaching. So thanks for that one. I like that. <laughs> well, it's funny. I used to, when I was younger, I, I was always into sparring. That, that was where, you know, I excelled and, and I had a tendency to make fun of katas and things like that. But now I, I understand how, how important that is. You're creating so much force, but you, it's the judicious use of force. Mm -hmm. What ballet taught me especially was I had a, a, a big vertical leap and a lot of power to rotate and spin when I did mm -hmm. pirouettes. But the the gold medalist of the 1980 Moscow games in ballet, I had the opportunity to train with him. And I asked him, I said, how do you dance differently today? He was 38 at the time. Um, no, he was, a, a, yeah, I think that was about, about the age. He was about 
18 years removed from when he won the gold medal at the age of 20. He said, how do you dance differently today than when you won the gold medal? You were unbelievable. And he wow. said, he said, I don't get tired anymore. And I said, you don't get tired. What do you mean? Because ballet is physically it's incredibly physical i mean my, my partner has got a, a a first in in a dance degree uh in in, in historic dance culture and and, and her, her dancing capabilities is, is amazing and i remember she's tried to just get me to stand in certain ballet positions and it was <laughs> I, and, and i was going oh that looks easy that looks easy i can do that and, and the way that she was trying to get me to to stand let alone before i've even moved and i'm going how do these people do this? I mean, I will never ever take a ball, uh, a person that does ballet for granted ever again, because it is painful. It's, it's, it's really, you know, to exhibit grace while exerting yourself to that level, uh, it requires, you know, I mean, there's so many things going on. It's the most complex movement system I've ever been involved in. Mm. But what he told me, and this is something I was 26 when I when I was uh, being coached by him. He said I would take too much force to begin a leap, mm-hmm. and then I would take extra force in order to manage the landing of the leap. If I did a pirouette, I'd take too much force to throw myself into the rotation, yeah. and then I had to use extra force to slow it down. So today. I take just the right amount that's, and that's there's fascinating. no wasted energy. So I don't get tired anymore. Wow. I mean, that kind of then goes into, um, I mean, we've we, we got to go to Hogan because, you know, it's your specialty. It's the thing you've mastered or, or probably trying to master. I, I think, no, we will never, ever master a golf swing. Um, you know, very many, very few of us do, but I mean, you know, having, I mean, say, for example, certain interviews, you know, Hogan always said about, oh, do you know what, just throw the book away. But, you know, Hogan's five lessons, you know, we, we say that it all really kind of starts from that. I mean, how did you start with something like Hogan's five lessons to, you know, really what what created the bug? Because you obviously got the Hogan bug. So how did that develop and why did that develop? Well, this is the book that changed my life. I bought this for $12 mm-hmm. and I was, uh, I said the story is I, I was buying my seventh driver in three years, hoping it would fix my slice. Oh my and God. Hogan, Hogan book was next to the cash register right? in a little, little holder there. And I pulled it out and I said, I'd seen it before. And I said, Oh, I always like these pictures. So I think I'm going to buy this book too. Okay. And In the first chapter, he says that any golfer that follows these fundamentals should be able to shoot in the 70s. And I had only shot 70s twice. That's when I was a teenager back Mm -hmm. in the, you know, I was practicing playing high school golf, et cetera. And they were those special days, the days where everything's going right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hadn't broken 80 in over 20 years. And I bought the book that gave me inspiration And the difference this time picking up the book was YouTube was out there and you could actually look at Ben Hogan's golf swing. Mm -hmm. The only times I'd ever seen Ben Hogan's golf swing were from golf telecasts where, you know, they show a second. It's like one second. 
you know, they say, and Ben Hogan, and you see the swing and Sam Sneed and on to Jack Nicholas. And, you know, so that's all you ever got to see of Ben Hogan. Mm-hmm. But once I actually started to study his swings that were on YouTube, it became absolutely clear that nobody moved the golf club with the poise and balance of Ben Hogan. And, and, and that's where, that's where my current journey began. I had known of the legend and myth of Ben Hogan my whole Mm -hmm. life as a golfer. I, I, there's just something amazing, the stories and the way that he moved people. Um, They were so passionate about, about his story. But when, when I picked up this book, in 2010 and started to really dig into it on YouTube. That, that's what really started the journey. And I think golf is a game that no matter how good you get, there's always miles of room to improve in front of you. Yeah. And Ben Hogan said, you know, I tried to perfect it, came pretty close, you know, so even he, you know, never perfected it. But that's, that's a, a big part of of why I made my film, Mr. Hogan, was I, I wondered, was I, was I being silly that I was, you know, so enamored and in awe of what Ben Hogan's golf swing was? So one of my favorite stories is when I got to interview Jack Nicklaus. Oh, wow. And, and I asked him about Ben Hogan and he said, well, we were good friends. The first time I ever played with him was in 1960 at the U.S. Open at Cherry Hills. I played rounds two, three, and four with Ben. And round two, he hit 18 greens in regulation. Round three, he hit 18 greens in regulation. Round four, he hit 16 greens in regulation, was tied for the lead, sucked a wedge off the front of a green on number 17, and it cost him the tournament but I watched him hit 52 greens in regulation in a row in the U S open in a row in a U.S. In a open. He didn't, he didn't chip for almost three rounds. Wow. I mean, so that's, that's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I think, he, yeah, I think when he played at either Oakmont or Oakland Hills, I, I believe it's pretty clear. He hit 66 greens in regulation. Oh and God. today, if you hit, mid to high 50s in a major you're probably at the top of the leaderboard oh yeah you know so i mean you know i i asked gary player the same same thing and he's like you know ben hogan is the greatest ball striker from tita green that ever lived and i saw them all from gene sarazen to justin thomas i've played with them all and ben hogan is clearly the best wow so that has satisfied my curiosity about his ability to control the golf ball to make it behave the way he wanted to and um you know i i'm just a a guy that wanted to play better golf i think my movement background once i wrapped my head around what i was trying to do i think that it helped me to to make it pretty far but my goodness just just my short game and pitch shots that's i could spend a lifetime working on that there's just it's such a big game Mm-hmm. you know putting um you know there's so much to it but but in terms of swinging the golf club there's nobody that does it with the artistry and and beauty of ben hogan in my opinion 
I mean, let's say, for example, because I had a question about that, because I was doing a little bit more research and they were saying that Hogan was double jointed, hence why he had the flexibility that he had. Now, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of your uh, information and some of the things that you put out there. And would you say that, you know, clients need ultimate sort of flexibility and range of motion to be able to try and, you know, recreate these beautiful swings? Or is it just not like that? Well, I'm the furthest thing from double jointed. Um, I'm not sure how that played into Mr. Hogan's swing. I've heard somebody told me that he could bend his thumb down to his arm or something. I don't know. Wow. I, I honest, I don't know if that's true. Sure. Because I, I, when I have my swing going, I have a, a quite a bit of lag, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know if that's necessarily true. The most important thing, um, if you wanted to actually look like Mr. Hogan, you would require certainly some um, flexibility and mobility in your spine. And I, I don't have, I don't think I have as much as he had, but, but the most important thing is understanding how the structure of our bodies work in relation to the energy we're pouring into our structure. I mean, that's, that's real. Everybody can benefit from, from his fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Now the, the look is something that's very unique to our own body structure. You know, I, the first year of my swing evolution, I had no, no plan at all to try okay. and resemble Ben Hogan. Did right. you know that? No, I, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I guess, you know, when you look back at, uh, I probably haven't scrolled that far back to the original starting videos. I remember, you know, on and off over the years, I've, I've seen your work and um, I, I think I've been following you on Instagram for quite a long time now, but it's just something you never, you know, you don't contact people, but you've seen the evolution. And something I was fascinated in as well was your fitness journey that you've been on recently to get yourself probably back into, you know, I would say, well above any shape anybody would ever need to be in to, to swing a golf club I mean do you feel like that's had a, a big effect as well on, on how you you know swing the club and the suppleness that you may have in your golf swing well I've I've been very heavy into yoga since I ruptured my Achilles mm-hmm. uh, in 2017 and that that made me take a look in the mirror and take a look at all of my fitness because uh, for most of my life you know, I had maintained a very high level of fitness. And then, you know, you get older and, you know, other priorities come into your life, you start working at a desk, it's easy to let your fitness go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually was, I had uh, lost about 20 pounds, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I was hanging out with my old martial arts training partner. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's great. You look better. But I remember you when you were at your peak physical condition, there's a Ferrari in there and it's still covered <laughs> up by a bunch of, bunch of junk in the, in the garage. He's like, I mean, you've done plenty of prancing my friend in the years. So, uh, you know, the prancing horse has got to come back out at some point. It, you know, it, it's funny. And, and that, that really got me thinking about it. And, um, but the most important thing was my, my old training partner pointed to my nutritional uh, mistakes I was making. Mm-hmm. You, you can desire something, you can want something, but to me, nothing becomes real until you can really see it, taste it, and plan for it. 
once he gave me a new idea of how I was going to get there and how I've been sabotaging myself diet with my diet, I realized, oh, well, you know, it's just a, it's all you have to do is just walk one foot in front of the other and you're going to get there. Uh, It's the same thing with golf. Okay. I thought I knew how to swing a golf club because I had taken lessons with folks like David Ledbetter, you know, and he's, he's an amazing teacher. Please don't get me wrong. I took three or four lessons with him in my mid teens. Um, But I had developed misunderstandings about how to swing the club on my own. I thought that if I lunged with my body, I would hit the ball harder. I, I thought I, I had several, I thought that I wanted to play with the weight in the balls of my feet. You know, I got too far over my toes and when I'd swing the club, it pulled me forward every time. You know, these are just things that I, I didn't understand. And, and, you know, there's a strange thing about like when the student is ready, the master will appear. You know, all of a sudden when I picked up the Hogan book, I started to have all these realizations that I, I really didn't know how to swing a golf club. I really didn't understand diet, even though I was a nationally certified personal trainer. Mm-hmm. All the things that I've been taught when I did that, those courses were, I disagree with them today. Wow. You know, so, you know, we live and we learn. And um, as, as, as you can see what's in front of you, so you can make it become a reality. So, yeah. so with my, my physical journey, my golf journey, um, I've been able to, to envision a new, new way to get there and it's made all the difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, let's say for example, so kind of, you come across as uh, a guy who likes to be, like you say, a master. And that word that you put in there was, was quite fascinating. I always look at, uh, you know, Tony Robbins scale of development and, and you've got three different types of people, you know, you've got the giver upper, you've got the stressor, and then you've got the master. You know, the person who's the giver upper, they start something, they try it two or three times and they, they, they start enjoying it. They get good. And then they, they hit a speed bump and then pff, they go, no, I'm giving up. I'm no good at this. And then you've got the, the person that's the stressor that ultimately it's kind of like the stock market. They're going up and down and then you start the first level, you take two steps up, you get some lessons at something, you get good and then you plateau for a little while. And then you get another lesson, you might go down a little bit. And then you get really frustrated and you're going, oh, why have I got worse? Why have I got worse? And it's not because you've got worse. You've just changed something. And then eventually, once you've changed something and you, you just keep going, but the stress, it goes, oh, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. They get stressed. They get more stressed. And then boom. And the next thing you know, they make that improvement. So they take two steps up again. But they, they spend their lives going up and down like a stock market. The, 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 the curve is slowly going up. But ultimately, every time they hit that plateau, they get annoyed and then they get and they get worse. So you then got the master who starts something. They take two steps up and it's it's kind of like the, uh, you know, going to the karate kid, for example, it's the, ah, oh, Danielson, plateau to be expected, you know, and, and the master expects the plateau to happen because they know that they can't just keep getting better and better and better. And, and it comes across that to me as a person, you sound like the master. And I wanted to kind of go into how do you take your personality into just mastering so many different things, you know, you know, being a producer, being in television, karate and into golf. um, What would you say maybe is kind of like one, 
I don't know, maybe spiritual or particular life lesson in, in, in a very short period of time? How could you give someone a life lesson for all the listeners out there? Is, is there any one particular attitude or maybe personality trait that you've had that's kept you going over these years? Well, I've, I tell my children um, that learning is a skill. Knowing how to learn something is a skill in and of itself. So um, what I believe is you have to know that you're going to get out of it what you put into it to mm -hmm. some degree. Um, and my children, so they study ballet, gymnastics, and violin. And the reason why these are important disciplines um, that I encourage them to study is because they're fine arts that require an immense amount of dedication in order to, to see the fruits. And so now my children are playing beautiful songs on the violin. You know, they're, they're, they just danced in their first Nutcracker performance with professional ballet dancers and ballerinas wow. surrounding them. And, and so they're, they're starting to see how, you know, how, where, where these things go, where, where it will take you if you have the, the willingness to start a journey where you can't see the ending. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to take that first step, that, that leap of faith and have confidence that it's going to pay off. So yeah. whenever I start something new, I, I understand how much it's going to take. And I understand that it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I know that uh, in, my, in my fitness program, I tell people, you know, it's, it's all about making small changes, but making sure that the ship is moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And if it's moving in the right direction, then we can't jump three months ahead, you know, or six months ahead. But if no. you keep it moving in the right direction, you will arrive mm -hmm. where you intended to be, you know, so, so it's really about patience and just, you know, maintaining, you know, steady focus. I it's think not, honestly, you can't, you can't go to the gym and, and lose 20 pounds in a day. You just, no. but you can hurt yourself for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could. And, and I think that's where, you know, it's, it's the patience level as golf coaches. I don't know how we instill these messages into our clients, you know, don't just come for one lesson and come back in two months and expect that everything's going to be fine. And then you can just have another lesson. It just doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. And, uh, you know, it, it, when it doesn't work like that, that is a cute dog, by the way. What's his, uh, his or her name? Hero. Hero. I love that. That's wicked. So, it, yeah, his mom just left. So he's being a little, little, little worried. So I, I call him Hero because he's a, he's a little wimp. He's, he, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's gorgeous. We, we, I'm a big dog fan. So uh, let's say, for example, then, uh, I want to know, in terms of golf, you know, you, you probably you know, been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, God knows how many times, seen so many things. Let's go to one of the funniest things or weirdest things that's ever happened on a golf course. Well, I, I had started to tell you the story about when I decided I would try to actually look like Ben Hogan. Yeah. And I think that this is a, a pretty remarkable story. So in the year 2010, I had made the commitment to try and drop my handicap the most possible. I had seen the year before that Golf Digest had these awards and 
the biggest drop was about 11 strokes from like 22 to 11 or something like that. And, you know, and they quoted the USGA statistic that after three years, most golfers plateau and do not improve past that point. And that was very disappointing and, uh, you know, unsettling to me because here I am playing, you know, 30 years and I'm, I'm still very, very frustrated with my game. But I got the Ben Hogan book and in three months I shot 79. I was like, wow, okay, something's starting to wow. change here. And then that year I broke 80, 14 times and my low round was 74. Wow. And so I was really starting to move in the right direction. And um, I had one last round I was going to be able to play in the year 2010. Mm-hmm. And I was filming myself. You, you may catch my old swings occasionally. I was filming myself because I had the idea to make a documentary about me trying to improve my golf game. And yeah. I dropped my handicap from 14.2 to 5.6 in one year. So I had, I had one more round and I was going to try and shoot under 74. I was like, if you could shoot par or better, that would be the greatest story and that you could, you know, make. So Christmas day, you know, we're having a great time. I drank a little too much. I got exiled to the couch for the evening (laughs) and Tomorrow was the next day, the last round of golf for the year. And I, I slept on the couch on my left arm. I woke up in the exact same spot. And when I rose, I could not lift my left arm. It oh, did no. not move at all. It was frozen to my body. Oh. And so I'm such a golf maniac. I went out to the golf course. I could barely hang a couple fingers from my left hand on the butt end of the handle. And I just tried to play. And it was mostly with my right hand. I felt almost like I was playing just with my right hand and I videotaped it. And when I got home that evening, because I was working so hard to get my right side through the shot, it was the first time I had any glimpse that I could swing anything that resembled at all Mr. Hogan. And so I, I was like, Oh my gosh. And I said to my, my wife at the time, I said, uh, we're going to be millionaires. (laughs) (laughs) And as silly as that is, um, I made a video the next day and, uh, I went to the golf course and I called the video finding Ben Hogan, which is a, a very presumptuous and arrogant thing to say. But I, I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, is this the secret? Because everybody talks about the secret. He said three right hands. He said all this other stuff. I had no idea how much was still ahead of me on this journey. But that video in 2011, January, was the first video of my new channel called My Swing Evolution. Wow. And that all started because I drank too much on Christmas Eve or Christmas (laughs) Day and, and slept on the couch. And gave yourself a dead arm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. A doctor, a doctor told me they call that Saturday night palsy that in the emergency room. <laughs> so I mean, uh, basically, so what happened after that? Did you just get your friends to punch you repeatedly in the arm before every time you went and played golf, right? I gotta get that position back, right? I gotta get it. I gotta get it. I don't know. Maybe I should just strap that 
arm to my body or something. But, <laughs> but uh, it it was it was very odd how it forced me to move in a pattern that I'd never moved in before. And and there's so much there, there's so much to explore in the the golf swing. I I I think I could literally do my swing evolution for 20 25 more years and keep coming to the channel with something. I discovered something new. Wow. It's, it's inexhaustible. The, uh, I, Ben Hogan had a great quote. Um, he said in his career, he said, you know, there's not a round of golf I play where I don't learn something new, mm-hmm. where I don't learn that I learn something new every day when I go yeah. and play golf. And somebody asked him about that quote in his seventies. And he said, it's still true. There's fewer surprises. <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, yeah, it's one of those games where I, I get so fascinated by, you know, every day when, especially when you're a coach, that there's always someone with some sort of form of story or, you know, I always say to parents, you know, if they want their children to have incredible life lessons, just take up the game of golf because there's so many nuances and, and lessons that we can learn spiritually. And I'm big into reading uh, the, Tao, uh, the Tao Te Ching uh, by Lao Tzu at the moment and finding, trying to use some of those learnings into, into my coaching and how to become a better coach. And I don't know if you've heard of, of Lao Tzu, uh, the, 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 the Tao Te Ching. Um, yeah, the, the, the Tao is inexhaustible. Yeah, hundred percent, right? And it's 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 fascinating being able to bring some of those stories from it. And um, who who's the fam- most famous person you've probably ever worked with or ever met? You know, it, it, you must have you you put Jack Nicklaus out there. You, you obviously met Gary Player as well. I'm guessing. Yes, I got to go to his house and I spent a day with him. He gave me a golf lesson. I did a great two and a half hour interview with him. Oh, shut up! Come on, you've got you've you got to see it, Ben. It's so good. It's wow. so good. I'll send it to you. I'll send you one of the episodes and you can watch it. Oh, it's, I see. Right now that sounds got amazing. It, two half hour episodes finished and I've probably got two more I plan on making. It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. But wow. are you talking about famous, like in read the regular world, like Hollywood or, well, you know, I was just fine. It's I've fascinating had a lot stories, of famous right? people. Is, is... I, I can imagine obviously being in, in television, um, you know, who would you say is someone that you've maybe outside of Hogan and going outside of golf? Is there any particular person famous or non-famous that maybe that you look up to, or you've maybe has uh, helped shape who you are today as a person? Um, well, I, <laughs> I had Quentin Tarantino's back when he almost got in a fight in Las Vegas after one of the ultimate fighting championships. No way. Oh my God. Come on. Let's, let's, let's hear more of that. We got to, that's fantastic. So, Oh my gosh. So um, it was the rematch of Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture two at the MGM in Las Vegas. And my buddy and I went, my friend was the host of the show. So we got these great tickets and, um, and so we, we go and we spend the whole night, you know, we play cards afterwards and everything. And at the end of the night, there's no, we can't find a hotel room. It's about mm-hmm. five 30 in the morning and we're waiting in the valet line and Quentin Tarantino is right in front of us. And he's with this beautiful young lady and they're hanging out. And these guys came out of the, out of the MGM and they're screaming, Quentin Tarantino sucks. Oh my and gosh. And all these, all these horrible things at Quentin Tarantino. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? 
and my buddy uh, Josh and I say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. We got your back. And uh, and we're hanging out. And these guys, you know, they 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 come up to them and they're they're being jerks and everything. And then mm-hmm. they end up getting their car and they're screaming at them. They end up driving away. And it, it really wasn't that big a deal. I was just trying to de-escalate everything. Although my friend Josh told me, jump out there and start throwing some kicks. Too, it's too crazy. We don't need to get in a fight. In retrospect, I wish I had. Because <laughs> I really, I, I love Quentin's movies a great deal. So I tell my filmmaking partner when I get home the, the story and, you know, months go by, no big deal. And so he calls me and says, hey, man, did you watch, I think it was NCIS? And, uh, and I'm like, no, no, what is it? He's like, he's like, Quentin Tarantino directed the final episode of the year. And he has the guy in the show telling the story of the MGM grand battle where these guys oh wanted to start a fight with you. What? And I'm like, son of a gun. And he had saved it on his TV. I'm like, that's, I told you that story, didn't I? <laughs> like, I thought, I thought you were full of it, but oh my words that's so, so that is so cool i love crazy that. things that happen in the world is is there any uh if you were to say crazy if, if you were to quickly think about maybe one strange thing that's maybe happened on a golf course maybe someone that you were playing with or something that's happened to you on the golf course can you think of anything that stands out to you over the years that may pop up we, we to give you an idea we, we've had one story recently uh, where uh, a guy was, well, one of my friends was caddying for a very posh guy uh, around the Sunningdale sort of golf course around that sort of area. And um, guy disappears off into the trees and comes back and spends the next 14 holes with uh, some, uh, let's say, poo down the back of his trousers. But his playing partner said, don't mention anything because he'll get seriously angry. That's the kind of stories that kind of pop up sometimes on the podcast. I don't know if there's anything that you could think of. Wow, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, nothing, nothing really crazy kind of pops to mind. I don't know why that is. Um, I've only seen one hole in one in my lifetime. I've still never made one. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost made a hole in one on a 328 yard par four. Wow must have rolled right over the cup that was oh my god that was on film too which was pretty cool that is cool Um, that is very cool you know it was one foot it had rolled over the cup and was one foot behind the hole so i don't know if it lipped out or hit the pin or what but but uh other i can't really think of anything too wild off Mm. the top of my head unfortunately i wish I, i should i should try and think of something definitely if you think of anything ping me a message and come back to me we'll we'll have to have another chat about that one for sure so (laughs) um we we could go on for absolutely ages and you've been so generous with your time and i always like to uh finish off the the podcast and i'm sure we can have another chat at some point because you'll be full of incredible stories you know you've lived an incredible life and uh definitely like to carry on some further conversations but we are now getting to a point ladies and gentlemen into the podcast where we like to finish off with drum roll rapid eight ball questions my friend i am christo i'm going to ask you eight rapid fire questions so i want you to take a nice deep karate diaphragm breath in let your body relax into the ground empty your mind 
and we're going to get into Ben's rapid eight fire questions. So say the first thing, my friend, that comes to your mind, and then we move on to the next one. Question one, you come home to find that your house is on fire. What do you run in and get? My computer. Nice. Second question, what's one food, if you had to eat it for the rest of your life, what would it be? Eggs. If you had one golf club to play with on the golf course in your bag, which one would it be? Eight iron. Who's the most famous person you've ever spent time with? Jack Nicholas. If you could pick a song to walk out to on the tee every time that you play a Stableford or a tournament, what would that song be? We are the champions. Love that band. They're amazing. Uh, we could go on for ages for them. So you're stuck on a <laughs> desert island. Who would you want to be there with you? My girlfriend, America. That's a nice name. I like that. That's very cool. And if you could bring one musician back from the grave, who would it be? Hmm. The first thing that popped in my head was John Lennon. Okay, first time we've had John Lennon. We've had George Michael a few times. Uh, so there's, there's some interesting ones. I think we've had Bowie, I'm not sure. And uh, your last one, rapid fire question, so we can get to know you the most. What's your most common nickname? Common nickname? Um, well, I was called Bird when I was growing up because I had a high vertical leap. Okay. So, I mean, that's a, that's a strange, I, I don't really, nobody calls me a nickname as, as an adult. Um, so that's interesting. That's I get, I get Seagar. I've gotten Seagar for my first initial in the first, uh, <laughs> the beginning of Garcia is Gar and like <laughs> Galo. It's Seagar. Seagar. Oh my God. I tell you what, when you, when you've got the, the surname of Harvey, my friend, uh, it, it got shortened to, it went from Harvey to Harv and then someone, cause my middle name is James. So they replaced it with Jav. And then I don't know if you know the famous department store, we've got Harvey Nichols over here. So there's okay. some, so it went from Harvey to Harvey Nichols to Harvey Nicks. Uh, oh God, it, I don't know if it's a British thing. It's just one of these things. We all get given nicknames over the years and they just keep train changing all the time. So um, I had so many other questions, but obviously you've been amazingly generous with your time. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you if there's anyone that you feel that you would recommend to come on the podcast who you think might be super interesting in, in the golf industry. Hmm. Um, I have... Uh... I've become friends with a guy named Billy McKinney. Mm -hmm. He's a Southern California teacher of the year many times. And there's mm -hmm. obviously a lot of golf in Southern California, yep. but I just met him in person for the first time at the uh, PGA show. And he mm -hmm. recognized me as Christo, Christo. And it was so cool. And um, I can, I'm, we're just start. I wanted to make a video with him. I've been in touch with him for a long time before meeting him in person, but he's, he's even more impressive now that we've become friends. Mm. That's so interesting. Cause I, I can put you guys in contact with each other. 
Yeah, I think that would be fascinating. Billy McKinney, and I swear I've got Billy on Facebook. You know when you go on Facebook and you just keep adding golf coaches and you watch their stuff, and but you never really actually kind of communicate and put that message out there. And um, yeah, definitely. Billy, look up on Instagram. He's he's Billy Bill McKinney Golf Secrets. Okay, I would definitely take a look at that. that he just sent, awesome. he just sent me a couple of pages from the golfing machine about a conversation we're having about the wrists and the golf swing. He's okay. He's very knowledgeable, and he's his his energy is so good. And he's he he. I asked him about yoga. He's like, I've been practicing yoga for decades. I'm <laughs> like that's awesome. Have you ever that's practiced right. yoga? I have practiced yoga. Um, I probably don't do enough of it. My my partner does it every morning for about 10, 15 minutes and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and keeps herself supple. And uh, I still can't get to the same positions that she does. It's, it's fascinating to me that, I mean, and I'm a skinny guy and I used to be incredibly fit and flexible and I, I definitely can't do it these days. So I need but to do can, more yoga. We can only do what we can do. My, my girlfriend, America is a, uh, an elite yoga instructor and what she can do is unbelievable, but it's really to me um, less about the positions and the mobility. It's more about the breath and what it makes happen in here. Hmm. Okay. Because when you get into, when you get into a position, like you were talking about ballet earlier, when you get into a, a stressful yoga position, mm -hmm. it triggers your fight, flight, or freeze response and your heart rate goes up and your adrenaline and you, you learn to manage the stress. Okay. And, and you do that through your breath. And that's really done a lot for me on the golf course recognizing when I'm starting to get an elevated heart rate and stress and adrenaline and, you know, so, and in all, all aspects of my life, just figured I'd throw that out there. So next, next thing, next time we know that you've got yourself a, a nice four or five under round going, you start getting stressed and Christo's doing, uh, you know, yoga positions on the tee to get himself sorted for his next shot, then you know, he's got it going down, right? So, so man, I played this round. <laughs> Birdied the first hole, birdied the second hole, parred the third hole, had a short eagle putt, uh, like to go, I was it, four under after four holes where I ended up, I, I can't remember, I, I think I was four, three or at least three under, and I'm on the fifth hole, and I couldn't tee the ball up. <laughs> the, the, I literally, the, I was shaking so badly, I could not rest the ball on the tee. Wow. I just, I kept knocking it off. I, I, I was dropping it and I dropped it on and I got it to land and then moving my hand back, I knocked it off again. And <laughs> it was, it was um, unbelievable. It was, it was oh, really nice. unbelievable. So it's amazing what this game does to us. We're definitely going to. There's your crazy. <laughs> That's the one I'm going to remember when I was so afraid I couldn't tee the golf ball up. Uh, do you know what? Over here, unfortunately, that just happens when people are hung over and they're trying to put the ball on the tee on the first hole. So um, <laughs> I, I remember I'm not going to name names because he'd kill me if he ever found the podcast. But uh, we, we had a pro-am once when I was a kid and um, it was a place called Marlborough Golf Course in, uh, in Wiltshire, uh, just down the road from my house. So if, if you're thinking, you know, America, we're probably Wiltshire could be probably i don't know 60 70 miles west of london around that sort of area and, and we went to this very windy golf course 
and my local pro club pro we said look do you want to come and do a pro-am with us and he rocks up about half an hour later than he should have done quickly put some breakfast in him stood on the first tee and this guy hit it 300 for fun he's like six foot five big guy big flowing slow big development of power as he comes through uh, and, and he gets about three or four four holes in and I just said dude you are playing crap what's going on man like why are you playing so badly and I think he shot about 80 something that day and he said and he wouldn't tell me and then he said about two weeks later we were in the uh, we're in the pro shop and I said Mike how's that golf game of yours have you got any better since last time we played and he went, leave me alone, man. I had a wedding the day before. He said, I was seeing two golf balls when I was trying to put it on the tee that morning. And yeah. I was just thinking, oh, my God, you know, I never want to be in that place ever. And I've never done it. And I still will never turn up to a golf course hungover. Um, but the funny thing is, have a look at David Ferrity, because I swear David Ferrity was on an interview on Instagram recently. And it was like an old interview of his. And it was a short clip. And he said that he was leading a tournament because he'd shot early 60s. And it was because he was drunk the night before and rocked up and played one of the best ever tournament rounds he's ever played. He rocks up sober as anything the next round, shoots like 72 and then drops out of the lead. So I don't know, maybe next time you play and you've got a bit of free time, go get yourself drunk, have a few beers, go out and play and see what happens and tell me and, and just send me a oh. message. Well, I've done that plenty in my life and remarkably, you know, I've been, uh, I've been clean and sober for, for quite a while. That's a good I, place just, to be, my friend. Just, I, I don't know. It's like, I've, I've been there, I've done that. And uh, I'm, I'm actually enjoying seeing it from this side for a while. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, man. Christo, do you know what? I'm going to uh, I'm going to love you and leave you there because you have been very generous with your time. And, uh, you know, if you ever need any help with anything in the future, you know, you stay in touch, my friend. And, and it'd be great to have you on board maybe in the future again sometime. I love it. Thank you for the time. It's a pleasure. I'm glad we're friends. Thanks very much, Christo. I'll speak to you soon. OK, bye. Cheers. So there we go. What a fantastic interview with Christo Garcia from My Swing Evolution. Christo, thank you so much for your time. And I'm so excited to bring you uh, on again for uh, another episode in the future sometime to talk a little bit more about some of those interviews with Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, uh, and some also very funny stories I'm sure that you've got maybe from your film industry days. So guys, if you're looking to get in touch with Christo, you can find him at My Swing Evolution on YouTube. All of his details tend to be on there. He's also got his website. Uh, he's got his books. Just type in Christo Garcia or My Swing Evolution into our very well-known search page, and I'm sure you'll be able to find his details. So if you've got someone that you think might be fantastic for the podcast and you want to recommend them, then please do get in touch at benharveygolf at icloud.com. Pop me an email. Uh, if you want to come on yourself, then please do get in touch. I'd love to have you aboard, maybe have some chats and uh, see what funny and interesting stories that you may have about your time in the golf industry. If you're looking for online golf coaching, again, you can find me at benharveygolfperformance.com. Any more questions, please do get in touch. But guys, next episode is with Mark Arnold. He has worked with tour players. He's worked with celebrities. He is an NLP specialist to the stars. And I'm so excited to have him on board. Already had a good chat with him before. And he has got some seriously funny and also very exciting stories about his life within the NLP community and also uh, the psychology and uh, mindset 
uh, you know, background that he has within his industry for a very, very long time now, since probably the mid or late 90s. So, Mark, uh, looking forward to our next episode. Guys, stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you.